Real is what you feel, feelings aren't real. Put your mind back down, lose your back, spin the wheel. Real is what you feel, feelings aren't real. Put your mind back down, lose your back, spin the wheel. Real is what you feel, feelings aren't real. Put your mind back down, lose your back, spin the wheel. Real is what you feel, feelings aren't real. Put your mind back down, lose your back, spin the wheel. Hey everyone, it is the day before DragCon, and I have writer Garrett Schlichty with me. I was thinking, do I really want him on the show? And I was like, 1,000% I do. 1,000%. Garrett Schlichty with us on Rulaska Thoughts, and now I want to pretend like we go somewhere, but actually, I'm just fading out right now. Hey, Garrett Schlichty, how are you? Hello, I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm well. It's been a long time since we spoke. You know, like half the season's passed by. I know. So much to cover. So many thoughts. A yeah. thousand thoughts. A thousand thoughts. A thousand percent. Everyone loves themselves some Garrett Schlichty. Now, before we do anything, because, <laughs> you know, last time we spoke, you had that article in Slate Magazine. Where? What are we missing? What have we not seen? Where should we go to find more Garrett Schlichty? Even right at the top of the show, let's talk about it. Um, well, I have published a couple things at Into, which also has some great drag race coverage that I'm sure everyone is already reading. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote something about Cynthia Nixon running for governor for them, which was very exciting. Um, I just recently published something called An Open Letter from a White Gay, which is a humor piece, um, at... Uh, this, like, small humor publication, okay. um, which I'm not going to be able to think of right now, but I'll think of it later. But mm-hmm. it's great. Well, look. And, like, as always, my website, GarrettSchlichty.com, for all of my writing. Oh, all your writing is at GarrettSchlichty.com, which, by the way, I, I love that you assume everyone knows how to spell Schlichty. I know. It's, like, my greatest downfall of my entire internet presence. Like, all of my handles are, like, at G Schlichty, and I'm, like, I couldn't do, like, Garrett S., yeah. Um, but S C H L I C H T E and Garrett is with two R's and two T's. So there you go. Of course, have fun if, with if, that. if you told my mom that, then she would call you Carrot. And she would go like, is, is <laughs> My mom would find a way to screw up. The, you made it so easy, but she'd find a way to screw it up. But, but let's talk. We have a couple of things we want to talk about. One of the things, the first thing, let's talk about it. it, it we finally came to the end of the road. For a uh, a contestant who had a very racially charged, uh, you know, run on this season, uh, the vixen, yeah. and she went home. But before we get anything from you, okay, what, what was your take on the vixen and her run of the season? What what's the what's your personal take on her? My personal take on vixen is I really I loved her in the beginning, and I thought that a lot of the discourse that she was bringing to kind of like the forefront was incredible. Um, I think it like really nicely highlighted a lot of some of the things that I had started to kind of talk about in my slate piece mm-hmm. about racism in the drag race fandom. Mm-hmm. And even in some of the way that the show was edited and then billboard recently did another great article about it also. And I love point. Um, I think towards the end, she just also was just, like, kind of mean. Like, there's a difference, I yeah. think. Um, and I think, like, Asia, 
O'Hara did a great job of breaking some of that down to her last night. Because, again, as a, like, white boy, I can begin to kind of even imagine walking in her shoes and experiencing a lot of what she's experienced in Chicago and, like, especially now being on a larger platform. But I'm glad that Asia who I think obviously can definitely relate a lot more to her, had an opportunity to sit down with her and say like, hey, maybe there are some like deeper things going on here. And this is kind of some of the way that that maybe manifests. So I think that also like post being on the show and her having a chance to watch it now and following her social media presence, I think she fully understands it. You know what I mean? And it also seems like, all of the girls in like a non fake way really do love and support each other. So like, Mm -hmm. there's also the entire other side of the thing that we don't get to see. Uh, So I'm glad to see some of that. Did we, did we speak after she had that run in and that blow up with Aquaria early on in the season on untucked and, and she broke the fourth wall when Aquaria started doing that, by the way, the fakest cry ever. I mean, yeah, the, you know, it was like literally like, <laughs> like that kind of cry. Uh, and she called her out on it and was talking about the, the perception of how they're going to see an angry black woman making a little white girl cry. And what were, what were your thoughts on that moment? I think that was spot on. I mean, I don't think I mean, I think it's like a larger conversation about the way that like race plays out in everyday life. I don't think it's anything Aquaria was doing on purpose. You know what I mean? I don't think she was like let me cry right now so that, like, people think that Vixen is, like, an angry Black woman and they kind of peg her in that way. But I do think those are just the unintended consequences that, like, as a white person, you probably aren't processing at the top of your head in the same way that a person who has to deal with a lot of this on a regular basis is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was glad she said something because it felt pretty spot on to me. So So where did Vixen lose the way for you in terms of your support? Not that you don't support her, but where did you start to think, like, okay, she's a, she's a little bit of a problem? Um, I would say probably maybe two to three episodes ago. I mean, probably pretty strongly, like, a little bit of halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm trying to think of what the exact moment this is was. A quiz. Um, but there was one part in an episode where she'd just basically been like, well, oh, what was it? What was it? When her and Aquarius had, had the initial fight, mm-hmm. and she like snapped back at Aquaria at the makeup tables because of something that Aquaria had said. Yes. Oh, Aquaria made a joke mm-hmm. like that wasn't funny, mm-hmm. and then the vixen said that wasn't funny in a way that like wasn't like you kicking with your friends being like that's not funny in a way that was like a little bit more pointed, mm-hmm. and then Aquaria clapped back to that. And then the vixen turned that around to say, like, you started this. And I'm like, barring, like, a major blame the edit moment, like, the vixen still started that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I was like, if you are going to, like, be the don't poke the bear unless you're going to get the bear, then just own that. Like, don't try and blame the anger on somebody else. Just kind of say, like, all right, well, I just wanted to fight, so here I am fighting. And not the kind of, like, this is your fault first. You, you know, from that moment, even to, to the Eureka stuff, my perception was that uh, the Vixen came in with this, I'm going to find the biggest, baddest bitch on the, in the yard, and I'm going to um, 
fight, not maybe not intentionally think I'm going to fight with her, but would more aggressive towards the biggest bitch in the yard. And be, I think coming into the competition, uh, Aquaria had a lot of hype going into the competition. I mean, she has share needles for a drag mother. All of the most famous drag race queens like worship her and just follow her on Instagram and praise her. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And so I think that the Vixen saw her as the threat, but then even Aquarius coming into her own now in the competition, early on, she was sort of middle of the road. And maybe, but Eureka was getting a lot of praise sort of early on. And I think that the Vixen sort of saw, okay, wait, Aquaria, no, Eureka's now the front runner. I need to take down the front runner. But that's, you know, let, let's actually hop on to your uh, your point about the article you wrote for Slate about racism in the drag race community. There is already a thing where the, the black drag queens do not make nearly as much as, with the, with a few exceptions, as the as your average white queen does. And I think, actually, I think you and I, I feel, I think it was with you and I were doing a Rulaska Thoughts when we realized we didn't know what was going to happen in the season, but Blair St. Clair was already signed by Producer Entertainment. Yeah, I think Blair and Cracker were both already signed. Yeah, and they had like, like in fact, I think Cracker has sort of had a disappointing run on the show. That was a topic I talked about today. Uh, on, I'm so sad about it. Yeah, on Sirius XM Radio, and uh, and then Blair Blair was actually I think went home too soon. I w- I think she could have gotten another couple of episodes, but she wasn't gonna win. I don't think. But um, but the the black queens have a tougher time getting signed to any of the more prominent uh, agencies or management companies that represent the drag queens. So you're already at a disadvantage of, 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 as a black queen. What would you speculate was the motivation? Like, because it seems that the vixen is aware of a life outside of the competition. What did? And that's the part that boggles my mind. If you're already a black drag queen, you're going to struggle to get work anyway, no matter how far you go on the competition. Why is it? Why would you make it? Why would you come off as more difficult? Do you, do you, well, because I think that, I mean, based off what she said and like what we've seen about her on the show, she's like, this is how I am. Like, this is how the girls in Chicago know me. This is how my fans know me. And I think it's just, I would. If that's, like, authentically who you are, mm-hmm. if you have to pretend to be someone else to get signed, then you're kind of in this double bind where it's like, okay, then, like, be this fake version of yourself for the rest of your career. Mm-hmm. Or get signed, flip the script, become this person, and then, like, probably get dropped. You know what I mean? And I think that it just... I mean, I think that's, like, a larger conversation. But I'm like, if you have to pretend to be somebody else to get signed or to get a contract or to get bookings you're just going to be upset like you're going to be miserable i think she is like someone who's very aware of like i want to live my truth and like sometimes if you're making that decision you have to be willing to suffer the consequences of that choice but i think that's a stronger life choice to make you know what i mean because at the end of the day the vixen is still talented. She does put on a great show. She does serve looks. And I'm like, if the fact that, like, she ruffles some feathers here and there is going to be a reason for a company not to sign her, I feel like in a lot of ways, that's probably the company losing out. Because the the thing that I don't think any of us can necessarily speak to is, I don't know about her level of professionalism in real life. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? 
But I think that, like, because we haven't heard anything about that, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that there's anything there to talk about. You know what I mean? Like, that would just lead me to believe that, like, she shows up to her job, she gets her job done, she does it well, and then she comes back to do it again the next time. Because I'm like, the second there was, like, even a hint that Valentina was difficult to work with, those kind of rumors spread like wildfire. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's one thing to like cultivate a persona for yourself. And then there's another thing to like, let that persona also become your work ethic, which I don't think is true for the Vixen. No, I agree with you. We've never, we've heard nothing about her professionalism. What I think is a good time. And, and, and actually I think anything, if you, if you look at the show, all indicators point that she's very professional. Um, but if you're a booking manager, are you going to think, oh, people would come and see her? Or maybe even if she shows up on time and does her job, is she going to cause drama in the green room? And I'm wondering, is it going to hamper her ability to make money? I mean, but I think that, I think there are tons of different ways to look at that. And I wish I could like pull names off the top of my head and I can't think about them right now, but I like, I think Trixie at different points has even talked about, like, when she's in the green room, she's not there to make friends with other queens. You know what I mean? She's not there to, like, become people's best friends. She was on a TV show. She's great at what she does. She's there to work a job. So I think she's even done interviews before where she's like, yeah, when I get into the green room, like, I'm focused and I'm doing what I'm doing. And if people misconstrue being focused with being a bitch, then, like, that's their fault. You know what I mean? Yeah, but Trixie, ha- you're right, because so, there is a sort of rumor around that she's very cold and not super nice. You're talking about Trixie here to work yeah. with. Yeah, the, the WeHo Queen drama. But um, and, and I'm like, she's not cold. She's just great at what she does. And when you're great at what you do, I feel like everyone wants a piece of it. Mm-hmm. But if you take time to like give a piece of it to everybody, by the time you get out to actually give the show, there's not a lot left. Yeah, it sort of reminds me, there's a moment in the documentary Comedian where Jerry Seinfeld's about to go on stage and he's just sort of being in the moment and some young kid, like, comes up to talk to him and he just sort of, like, kind of rudely cuts him off. And he's like, you know, not right now. And I see what you're saying. You're giving that energy and then you have to like, use more energy when you go on the stage. Yes, I'm not, I'm not denying that, but what I'm saying, does Trixie have sort of the capital uh, that she's built up because she just has such a huge following and presence to sort of use that to her advantage so that she doesn't have to talk to people. So what I'm saying, though, is does the Vixen have... I'm I'm already saying Trixie's starting with... um, I don't know. What's the opposite of a deficit? I don't know. A surplus. Thank you. She's starting with... (laughs) Thank you. I don't know the things. Uh, She's starting with a surplus... Of love and energy and commitment from the white twink fans, right? Whereas the vixen was at zero, and now she's now she has a deficit of, uh, I feel, of uh, going into these gigs. I, I I liken her more like a Fifi O'Hara. I think there's we've heard nothing about Fifi, Fifi O'Hara being unprofessional uh, backstage, but her career has suffered from her portrayal on Drag Race. I would, yeah, and I think. And I think this is maybe a different layer to this conversation and could maybe be a different conversation altogether. Mm-hmm. But I think as like relevant is even in like the Vixens um, like exit interviews last night, you know yeah. what I mean? She mm-hmm. talked about being upset that she was going home so early because she felt like she was there representing for her community. 
you know what I mean? And creating art for her community and speaking out and performing for her community. Mm-hmm. And the reality is like, I am part of the Vixens community in so much as like we are queer people living in the world. Mm-hmm. But I've also gotten a general sense, like the shows that the Vixen puts on, like her Black Girl Magic shows. Mm-hmm. I'm probably not the Vixen's target audience. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. You know what I mean? Like, I can still appreciate what she does and realize that, like, maybe this art isn't being created for me specifically. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, she maybe when I mean, she obviously went on the show to become America's Next Drag Superstar and to herself in that respect. Mm-hmm. But you can still go on with a goal and and have that goal be for a specific community of people and not for everybody. And, like, there's a million think pieces about this, you know? But I think that, like, as a white gay man, as, like, white gay people, mm-hmm. we we sometimes, because for so long we've, like, centered the narrative around ourselves, allowed ourselves to believe that, like, all queer art being created must cater to our point of view or our perspective. <laughs> a great transition and- to our next topic, but go ahead, Yes. And and what I think is that, like, there exists a reality, and mm-hmm. I think there's probably a great chance of this, that, like, the Vixen isn't doing drag for everyone. You know what I mean? And that doesn't mean that it can't be enjoyed by everyone. It just mm-hmm. means that everyone needs to recognize that it's not always for us. And that doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. It just means, like, sometimes we need to sit back and be quiet and just appreciate it. Philip Henry... Um, had, like, a great Twitter. I forget his handle, but his name is Philip Henry. He's hilarious. He's a writer. He's a comedian. He, like, does shows in New York. He had, like, this great Twitter thread a couple weeks ago where he was talking about how he feels like white people should not or should hold back from commenting on art created. I think he was saying specifically by Black people, but I'll say, like, in general, more by people of color. Mm -hmm. Because we lack a lens and an element of experience in the world to maybe be able to fully comprehend what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think like there exists a place for the Vixen in our community to be celebrated by a lot of people, even if she's creating art that isn't for everybody. Like I am very comfortable saying like the Vixen's drag probably isn't centered around being concerned with entertaining me. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I can't enjoy it. It just means, like, because I'm not the target audience, I can probably sit back and say, like, you are doing something incredible that is not for me, and I appreciate this. And in the moments where I don't understand it or it makes me a little bit uncomfortable, my place is probably still to just, like, sit back and listen a little bit, you know? So then my question is, is I I respect that and I agree with you, and I think that's a very good point. But then my question is, then why would you subject yourself to the very harsh glare, the eye of Sauron, so to speak, of RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> I mean, I think, like, last night in in her exit interview, she kind of said it. She, like, did it because she wanted to show other girls that it's possible to get there. You know, I think, like, we need examples like that. I think that potentially in a few more seasons, there could be a queen like the Vixen who has seen the Vixen and seen her journey and learned from what she did who could come on to the show... Mm-hmm. and then 
take some of that and apply it and like really have a chance because the vixen has paved the way so to speak but do you think it's kind of a little um I don't know what the right phrase I want to use here is, but it does take a certain something to to put that man to to take that mantle and to to uh, christen yourself as that person who like to to label yourself as the example. As the I mean, model. it it surely does. You know what I mean? It takes like a lot of self confidence and a lot of assuredness in yourself. And I like if we learned anything from the vixen during her time in the show it's like she has that confidence in herself Mm -hmm. and if you know what i mean if someone's not gonna like who would who is better to do it you know what i mean at Mm -hmm. this point someone has to be the first person to do it someone has to be able to like stand up for themselves and say like i've got this i'm taking this on this is me so and i don't think she's entirely invalid in assuming Mm -hmm. that that she had what it takes to do that. There seems to be a lot of backlash towards the Vixen, particularly in uh, the drag race community, but it might speak to your article. Why do you think that there is such deep seated, a lot, there's a lot of like, there are a lot of, there's a collective sigh of relief on a lot of people, fans of drag race that she is gone. Um, I, on the other hand, think that she'll be more boring. She's gone, but I mean a, a thousand percent. Yeah, but untucked like, was like super boring. Luckily. She was super quiet. I think that's why the producers were like poking at Cracker, like pick on Aquaria. That also side tangent. Well, yeah. don't even have to talk about it. That was the most pointless drama. I was like so upset by the shady music with that. I'm like, this isn't a real thing. <laughs> I kind of want to rewatch. I was I was busy doing something while I was on. It so was on in the background. I want to rewatch it, but. My point is that with Aquaria, I'm not with Aquaria, I'm sorry. With the Vixen, it, like, there is, I, I, that's why I'm very, I'm going to be at DragCon tomorrow. And I'm very curious to see sort of what the fan reaction, what her line is like. Um, if it's shorter or longer than the other lines. Uh, I'm very, very curious to see what the Vixen's booth is like tomorrow but i but what do you think it says about the collective sigh of relief that's breathed that's been breathed would you say breathed yeah yeah by, by uh the the fandom of rupaul's drag race i mean i think it's twofold i think the easy answer is every single untucked and like all of the drama that has happened or most of the drama that's happened this season has been about us being <clears throat> or us listening to to the Vixen. Mm-hmm. And us listening to the Vixen fight with Aquaria, and then us listening to the Vixen fight with Eureka, and then us listening to the Vixen fight with all of the girls because they said she should be the one to go home. Mm-hmm. And I think people want to pass it off as like, well, we just want to be able to hear about something else and like talk about something else during Untapped, mm-hmm. which is like for sure possible. I think the other side of it is if you are watching Drag Race, which is a show that like, for a lot of people, they are just there to, like, enjoy and watch. Mm-hmm. And then, when you're just trying to, like, tune out and enjoy something, you're being confronted with a lot of your own biases and a lot of your own problematic behavior. That makes you uncomfortable, and people don't like to be uncomfortable. And I think instead of people being forced to confront their, like, white privilege or their kind of, like, internalized racism, they're like... I just want to watch a show about drag queens, you know? And I think that is part of it is 
people like don't want to sit there and be uncomfortable. And it's honestly probably not the worst thing in the world that like there were a lot of people who were uncomfortable with the vixen calling out racism because it forced us to look at some of that in our own lives. Yeah. No, I, I get that. I was actually, I, I liked when she did that because I feel that there's a, a something that a lot of gay people don't want to see. They don't want to see the mirror turned back on themselves about their own internalized racism um, because they see themselves as both a minority when it's convenient, but also the benefits of white privilege when it's convenient as well. Right. Like a lot of white gay people want to pretend that like, because we're gay, Mm -hmm. it means that like, we could never also participate in any kind of racism Mm -hmm. because like we've experienced oppression and the reality is that's just not true. And instead of like running away from the fact that we might be a little bit racist, it's probably more beneficial to like look in the mirror and say, okay, where do those feelings come from and how can I change them instead of running away from them? Did you watch? I know we're going on a different tangent here, but it, it, this is the way we are. And did you watch that web series that Grinder put out um, about? Uh, and they would basically it was basically Grinder monitored catfishing. Did you see any of this web series? No. the The first episode's really good. The other ones fail a little bit more, but the first episode is really good. And they have. The the point of the ep- the series is they're going to take two people from disparate communities and have them switch grinder profiles to see what it's like to live as that other person. In, oh, I did see this. I did see this. I did see this. That was with into into's like grinders digital magazine. Oh, it is okay. So there was the one that was about the twink and the uh, there was a, it was an Asian twink and a white twink. Right? Mm-hmm. And what's what I think is so funny was like first of all they did it in Grinder's offices in West Hollywood which is not the best place. West Hollywood is not a great place to do this social experiment because <laughs> I don't know if it necessarily speaks I I cannot stand West Hollywood and I live in Los Angeles and um but because because if you remember the Asian twink is so fucking adorable and so cute like. There's no way people are rejecting this Asian twink, except in, like, the whitest part of West Hollywood, where they're like, ugh, you know? I, I know, but I think that, I mean, like, even in Washington, D.C., I have a good friend who, like, just made a Facebook status the other day. He's, like, this, like, wonderful, like, Asian man mm-hmm. who, like, made this Facebook status that was, like, I was just out at the gay bar, and this guy turned around to me and said, like, wow, you're really cute for, for an Asian. The Asians get it the worst. I mean, it just is, and I mean, it, it like no fats, no femmes, no Asians, no like no Asians. That was like Kim Chi's whole thing. Yeah, but I've actually seen that uh, on Grinder profiles before, and you're like, whoa, that is. Uh, it's awful. just like mind boggling. It really is, but I think they, but again, West Hollywood being a perfect example, they've built this little sort of gay white bubble, and they live in it, and and it just gives them the the ability, the the freedom to do that and and they behave that way it's i hate i hate west hollywood um i really do, I really hate it so much so okay are there any you know, before we go into this next more meta topic uh are there are there topics from RuPaul's drag race that you've been dying to talk about that you're like you know what i've always this is something I've noticed for this season thus far or this character is interesting like for instance cracker you were saying something about cracker uh, you were. What has been your heartbreak about Cracker this season? Just that she isn't. 
doing as well or like isn't being recognized i think for being as funny as she is i mean and i think that's the thing is like watching someone perform is different than like watching them on the show and seeing them in real life because i think we've seen so much of like cracker like questioning herself or questioning her choices and kind of being really in her head about that it's just so interesting to see because when we look at people as drag performers, we like very frequently tend to forget that they're fully well-rounded humans with like an entire life of experience and not just like the like four to seven minutes we see them performing on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and to like watch Cracker perform like live in New York, I've seen her a couple times. It's like so, it's just like such a different experience to like understand that like behind the scenes, she really does question so many of her choices because she is so strong and so funny and she i two weeks ago she was in dc mm-hmm. um and did a watch party here mm-hmm. so i got to like see her a little bit and hear her perform a little bit and then i got a little too drunk at the end and so the end is kind of hazy um but she's just great and she's so funny and she's so personable and i just like wish some of that was coming through well look i, I could analyze it like we may never get to the meta topic now because i could analyze this because I actually talked about this on the show last night, which is, I think Cracker's one of those performers, and this is not shade at all. This is just the way it is. I feel Cracker's one of those performers that she needs to hone her material. That's the way most comedians work, you know? Most comedians, they go out there with just, I mean, a blob of just, what is this? And then they they hone it, and they hone it, and they craft it, and they craft it, and they workshop it, and they workshop it until it is this perfect little gem that they've created and uh going back to that that documentary comedian with jerry seinfeld that's what the whole documentary is about and you watch jerry seinfeld bomb when he tries out these jokes you know and i mean and i think that's the thing is like they don't have time to do all of that on drag race because they have like 48 hours yeah and so like i think that the competition doesn't necessarily lend well to crackers method of working and i think that's why she's so in her head because she realizes she's funnier than that but it's not coming out that way like for instance she had that idea for you know the cane with uh share and rue didn't really react very well to that which like i disagree with rupaul on the record i'm like i she and like cracker was just like so willing to throw away that joke and like that bit and I don't, I don't know if it wouldn't have sold. You know what I mean? I but feel like there's like an element of risk taking that gets taken away. You're speaking to my point, which is, you know, you go out, you try it, and not even just if it fails once, you try it a couple of times. You're, you know what? That's not working. And then you try something else, and you workshop it, and you workshop it, and then you finally find the funny, and you have this perfect share bit. And I think that's sort of how Cracker works, and that's why when you've seen her, she's been amazing, and she's much more comfortable because she's now comfortable in her element she's she's she controls the universe here and in, in, in this case rupaul is the puppet master and i think she that makes her because i think and 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 we've seen it because i think on a review with a jew her youtube series she's talked about how she was really in her head on the bossy rossi show episode and uh was you know really distraught thought thinking that she was going to be in the bottom didn't think she did as well as she did and i, I don't think she's recovered since then I agree. I mean, I think there are, like, so many levels to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I also just, like, love Cracker. I'm, like, a huge Cracker stan. Okay. Um, So I just, like, really enjoy her. I wish we got to see a little bit more. And I also think one of the 
one of the things that could potentially be true about this season, and I haven't given it a lot of thought, but I've given it a fair amount of thought. So I think that this is like an incredibly stacked season. In in favor of one person? No, in fa- I, I, in that like everyone seems to be pretty great. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. with the exception of like obviously some of the girls who were like going on earlier, obviously with like the exception of the enduring power of Miss Vanjie. <laughs> like there are just incredibly tough competitors this year in ways that I don't necessarily know that we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, Monet and Cracker and Aquaria and Eureka and Asia. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, Cameron suddenly in the last two weeks has, like, become such a powerhouse. I feel like there's just, it's almost hard to recognize how great some of these queens are. Mm -hmm. Because it's not like they're standing head and shoulders above the others. Because I think they're all giving such strong performances. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's just something that, like, last night, I would say, like, the Rusical Challenge last night, yeah, like, for the most part, was, like, pretty consistent and, like, pretty great. You know what I mean? Like, the Vixen didn't really embody Cher. Like, mm-hmm. Asia didn't necessarily do an incredible job. I, like, didn't get a lot of Cracker's critiques. I, like, didn't get a lot of Aquarius critiques. Monet killed it. I will literally never in my heart be able to get over Monet's runway last night, because if she would have just had on something slightly different, or, like, have been cinched, I feel like she would have won, because her performance last night was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let me tell you this. I never noticed the fashion stuff, and if I notice the tape when I'm watching, you have a problem. Oh, I mean, a hundred percent, like a hundred, 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 hundred thousand percent. Like there's literally wow. nothing conceptually. That look was great. The execution of that look was not great. And I'm just like, if you would have been cinched and a little tucked, you would have immediately won that challenge. Cause Cameron was great, but Monet was exceptional. I feel like, uh, okay. Is there anything else we're missing? Have we, have we gotten the, the update on Garrett Schlichty's thoughts on drag race and the issues underlying it? Up to this point so far. I think so. All right, we're going to the meta topic now. And I don't want everyone I know is bored of this. This is like the, in the top of the show this week. It was in another show this week. But we have a new policy, Garrett, where I'm not. So, you know, we have a, a free main show that's available on iTunes, okay? Or anywhere you get yes. a podcast, okay? It's just, it's just a general recap podcast. Okay. Then people can opt in and sign up for Patreon and pay. This is where this show is and pay, you know, subscribe to it and they get all these bonus content. Okay. And on the main show, it's the main show, Garrett, is the one that gets any complaints come on the main show. The Patreon people, they're amazing, wonderful. They all, we love you all. They all look like Linda Evangelista. (laughs) And, uh, the the but every complaint is on from the main show. And lately, what the complaints have centered around, if there are any, is that they thought that the show is too dirty. Okay, and so I thought about it. And I made a policy, and the, the policy is enacted now, where the, we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about sex really on the main show if it comes up. Even 
I guess unless it, it's pertained to the actual episode. Because what happened was, you know, I uh, run a nonprofit out here, and one of the adults that I work with text messaged me and said, what's the name of your podcast? Because there's a kid here who wants to listen to it. And I was like, oh, no, 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 not safe for work. Don't know. <laughs> no, no, ma'am. Yeah. She was like, oh, this girl doesn't care. She's 16. Right. Which actually speaks to my next point. And so I was like, you know what, though? I became aware that, you know, the audience is, especially now that it's on VH1, is evolving. And it's now, you know, when it first started, it was a very, sub, you know, it mirrored real life and that it was a subversive television show and drag is a subversive art form and you know sex is you know frequently talked about at drag shows and and so i was like but as as the audience has grown younger and older actually at this at both ends i realized and also more straight people are listening Mm -hmm. that Maybe the main show needs to sort of change, and I've and I've so now I've enacted that policy. I'll still say like fuck and shit and all that stuff. I'm just not gonna talk about sex. But there is a conflicted part of me that does sort of feel like I've been will and graced. Oh no! And that like this is the way. Not like I'm. And that's not like we turn on the show. And I'm just like let's talk about fucking. You know. But it's one of these things where it's supposed it's myself and two other gay men or one other gay man, and we talk about the topics that we talk about what that gay guys talk about behind closed doors. And uh, I sort of feel like, oh well, now we've been told like we don't like that, you know, we're straight. Uh, that bothers us when you do that. We want to like we want to turn you. And this is no shade towards Ross and Carson. We basically want to desexualize you, and we'd rather you exist as these sort of like asexual, uh, magical gay fairies that solve our problems. That's sort of my take on it. But I wanted to get your sort of thoughts on that, and I'm not asking you to advocate either way, but just sort of if you, if you don't want if you don't want to wade into this territory, the idea of um, of hetero people going into queer spaces and then trying to redefine the art. You kind of touched on it earlier. I think when you're talking about the vixen and the, who the art is made for. Um, I'm like, Joe, we can literally plug all of my previous articles that I've ever written because <laughs> this is a topic I fully love to discuss. Okay. Um, I think that is bullshit. <laughs> uh, is like the most calm and collected way that I can put that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go off like on a slight tangent, but I'll make go it ahead. like very quickly. No, dude, look, um, there's that, the thing with paid or with any of the podcasting in general, no time limit. You know, you can go on whatever you want to go on. Okay, great. Here we go. Okay. I, uh, you may be familiar with a small film called call me by your name. Sure. Um, so I, a few months before the movie came out, Mm-hmm. The director did an interview with a Hollywood reporter where the Hollywood reporter asked about his decision not to include any explicit gay sex in the movie. Mm-hmm. And he said he chose to not include any explicit gay sex in the movie because he did not want to alienate straight audiences. Mm-hmm. And that made me inexplicably angry um because that's not the point yeah um i and like i wrote about this for the post and it's not that like i needed 
a movie that had, like, explicit gay sex in it. Mm -hmm. And if he would have just chosen to, like, remove, like, sex from it because he wanted to get, like, a PG-13 rating or rating that, like, allowed the movie to be viewed by wider audiences, I would have felt differently about it. But the fact that, like, you felt like you you needed to censor the kind of sex that was central to the storyline of the movie in order not to alienate straight people... Um just really frustrated me because I was like, then who is it for? You know what I mean? Like we have a thousand straight romances. I watched them all growing up. I love them. I've seen a ton. So many more straight people have sex on screen than I would ever care to. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm like, so here was this opportunity to have like these really beautifully written, like artfully like told stories and like, some, like, pretty explicit sexual content in that book removed so that, like, my uncle wouldn't feel uncomfortable while he was seeing it. Mm-hmm. And I just, like, really... That, like, really struck a nerve with me and was something that I, like, really, really didn't appreciate. Um, because I think, again, like, you're coming into our space. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a level of discomfort to that. And again, you can either like choose to run away from that discomfort or you can lean in and be uncomfortable for a little bit, question why you're uncomfortable, and then, you know, make your decision there moving forward. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's it, it, before it just to, to, you're doing great. Is I, I do want to jump in and say this because I'm, I'm going to get yelled at. My my decision was not because solely of that. I mean, that's what that those are the people who are bringing it to our attention. You know, but um, but it's also that there's one joke in particular they're talking about, and uh, and I know why I made that joke and what the motivation was, and I think it's more the reason I'm doing it is it's more of a challenge because I feel like every time that I've done it and it hasn't worked, it's been cheap, and I think from my years of doing stand-up comedy that I I've I've seen it before where like the sort of open micer who had been doing stand-up for like six months you know, gets in trouble on stage. And so he goes really blue to try and write the ship and that never works out. And it's cheap and it's just, it, 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 it reeks of amateur talent. Okay. So I, Absolutely. so my, the new policy isn't necessarily because I mean, it, it, I mean, there is an element to that. It does feel like I'm giving in, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm putting that self-imposed ban on myself because I don't want it. I don't want to go that cheap. Uh, and so I guess, I guess I should rephrase the policy as I won't be talking about sex. Now, if my co- co-hosts bring it up, I'll engage in the conversation, but I won't go there as the host of the show. I won't just take it there randomly. Um, just to, to, just to take it there. And so it is a self-imposed sort of, I can be better than that kind of rule that I have. Now, by the way, on Patreon, I'll talk about fucking and fleshlights and lube and people shitting the bed when you're fu- – I'll do all that on Patreon, right? But I mean, yeah, those are like beautiful, important topics to discuss. <laughs> Look, they come up naturally, believe it or not. So uh, – uh, but but on the main show where like you know a 16-year-old kid can listen or whatever, I'll, ma- I'll, ma- I'll make a challenge of myself that we can still put on an entertaining show and it doesn't have to be about uh, – Sex now, but that it goes to a bigger topic, which is what are your thoughts of the fact that drag is evolving to become a more uh, socially accepted art form? 
and is losing that subversity. And I think that's that's something I think RuPaul would would be sad about. Yeah, um, I there again. I'm just gonna like keep talking about both of these outlets because they're putting out like incredible queer content. But them just did a whole article about that also. Um, and like, is something being lost about drag, or like, what is what is the balance between making drag accessible to so many people, and what is like being lost because of that? Mm-hmm. Um. And I honestly don't think there's a perfect answer to that yet. I mean, I think what hopefully will happen is that, like, it it will continue to evolve and be subversive mm-hmm. in new ways. You know what I mean? Like, as as anything is created and more people start to consume any kind of content... Mm-hmm it has to find new ways to reinvent itself and it has to find new ways to say something different because I mean, again, like I know that we would all love to believe that like we've like fully established like complete LGBTQ equality. And like, we know that's not true. Like transphobia is rampant. Like femphobia is rampant. Like Mm -hmm. there's racism within the queer community and all of these things. But in a lot of ways, we are starting to gain this new level of visibility. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think subversive always has to mean like naughty, yeah. you know, I think that's like a, a different kind of connotation than what we're t- talking about. But what I think will start to happen is we will start to see drag being expressed in different ways and continuing to expand the conversation. But don't you and, feel, and, and, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, and I was going to say, I mean, and I think we talked about this, or you and I had talked about this on a previous episode when we talked about, you know, like, the kind of idea of, like, will will the drag race community eat itself by, like, so wanting to kind of overanalyze and analyze and dissect all of these things? Like, will we reach, like, a max capacity point? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't know either, and I, and I often wonder in terms of drag race, uh, is there, are we going to hit, and this is this is actually, I'm, I'm trying to find a way to articulate this, is right now we are feeling the attention and the love from uh, mainstream media, okay? But what happens when it's no longer a novelty and they move on? Will we feel played? I I think that's to be determined because I also think that in in so many ways this community carries with it such a multifaceted conversation and dynamic that I don't know I don't know if we see that anywhere else. You know what I mean? I feel like they're like people want to compare drag race to a lot of other kind of shows, right? Mm-hmm. So like they compared it to America's Next Top Model and Project Runway, which are, like, both shows that kind of heavily borrows from. And, like, I was in love with America's Next Top Model when it first came out. I'm, like, cycle one, two, three, and four. I could probably, like, recite forwards and backwards. But then we did kind of reach this, like, breaking point where kind of everyone, the viewership went down, moved to a different network, things kind of changed, there was a smaller audience... But I don't know if it was possible at that time to bring in all of the kind of nuance that Drag Race brings in. Mm -hmm. 
because it's not just a competition show and it's not just, you know, who's going to be America's Next Drag Superstar. We had Monique, you know, Hart talking about like being in divinity school and doing drag and relationships um, with like family and like religion and like queer identity. And then we've had such like incredible and like also difficult conversations about the trans community and trans representation on the show. And, you know, obviously great conversations have been started about race and like necessary light has been drawn to so many different issues Mm -hmm. that I would, I would find it difficult to imagine a near future where those conversations would all of a sudden become not prevalent or not worthy or requiring of attention in the way that I think we've seen a lot of like oversaturation for other kind of pop culture moments. Because that's the thing is like, this isn't a pop culture moment. This is like a real life lived human experience that touches on a lot more beyond just the show. You're right. And I also think it's one of the few shows, a real competition reality shows where the contestants can continue to have a life of their own outside of the show. I think maybe Top Chef and this show, and that's about it. Um, I mean, and even other shows that, like, there have been some successful models that have come from America's Next Top Model. There have been, like, Christian Siriano coming from Project Runway. Like, there are successful people coming from those other shows. Yeah. But again, those folks tend to stay in their lane because those shows deal with one lane. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there may be like some people who move into acting from America's next top model. But for the most part, if you're on project runway, you're designing clothes. If you're on America's next top model, you're modeling. Maybe sometimes you're acting. If you're on RuPaul's drag race, you're a drag performer, but you're doing movies, you're doing web series, you're singing, you're creating music, you're doing stand up comedy, you're touring. You know what I mean? Like Miss Cracker, has rights for Slate constantly. Like, she's had her own column there. Like, they go and they do talks and tours. They perform as... Like, there's just... There's so much more to being a drag entertainer than I think there is in in so many other realms of reality competition television. That, you know, it's not like everyone's just coming out and being like, okay, time to do, like, the Work the World tour, and then that's all we've got. But, you, you know, know, to tie it all together, tie, it all comes together. Is, right, don't it all you, comes together in that they're performing in drag. You're right. But what I'm saying is to tie everything we've talked about together is this next topic, which is Drag Race has over the years evolved into a show about drag queens from the drag community and the, to becoming essentially, and, and, there's, and there are people who complain about this, the drag race community. And it now, it now is, now it's, the perception is now, if you are a successful drag queen, or if you're a drag queen worthy of, worth your salt, then you've been on RuPaul's Drag Race. I mean, and, and I think what will hopefully happen is, you know, like, the number of drag race girls, and RuPaul herself, who have gone out to say, like, go support your local queens, like, hopefully that will start to happen and hopefully other people will. And there are like touches of that. You know what I mean? Like there's 
Bible girl in New York, Vicky Vox, who's like drag race, you know, adjacent, Mm -hmm. is like doing her own thing and is successful and can work on her own without having been on the show. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, I think that was something we started to see with, I mean, and I could be totally wrong. Someone please fact check. But if I, if my memory serves correct, I believe Bob said on her season, like she is a RuPaul's Drag Race drag queen. Like she started doing drag because she saw RuPaul's Drag Race. And that's what made her do drag. And I think that was maybe something we'd also touched upon in an earlier conversation. Like most of the girls on this season started doing drag after Drag Race had become semi-successful. And so there is an element of, at a certain point, I would say like either next season or the season after, pretty much everyone who will be on Drag Race started out as a fan of Drag Race. And then can work out well for you, a la Bob the Drag Queen, or can work out really bad for you, a la Sasha, whatever her name was. What was it? Sasha Bell? Sasha Bell. It, uh, what you're saying, this is a whole other topic, and we're going to wrap this up soon, but it reminds me of a, a, mm-hmm. of, a, of a piece that I read from Chuck Klosterman once when he was talking about the real world and how the real world started off as this, you know, sort of like, you know, cutting edge sort of like insight into how young people lived in New York City in 1990 or whenever it was, you know, and it evolved into then defining what young people how they behave and what the, how they view things and and that young people learned how to be that age from the real world and so it, it was almost like a, a wag the dog sort of situation. I'm almost wondering if we're in, we're going into that now about uh, drag race and that goes to the, back to the vixen thing is like how does someone like the vixen then exist in a world where a um, uh, a machine like RuPaul's Drag Race now defines drag going going to Aquarius comment. RuPaul, you know, drag, what is it, like, what is she saying? I don't, def- drag doesn't define me, I define drag? No, that's too, right. no, that, no, that, that makes grammatical said, sense. She said the same thing, just in two different ways. Yeah, but, but it is, it is, but, but it, but the truth is, though, RuPaul's Drag Race right now defines drag. When you can make, and you can argument whether that should be the case or not, but you can't deny that it's true. And so where does the vixen exist in that universe? I mean, I I think it is what you said is like a thousand percent correct. I would say that what I think will have to happen is drag queens or people who are interested in doing drag will, I think it will become more difficult for people who want to do drag to make careers out of doing drag in the way that it was possible, I would say, like, pre-season four. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think people will then have to decide... I mean, I think it... It's, like, such a... It's a much larger conversation. I think it's such a nuanced conversation. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, if I had the money... Yeah. I would totally be doing drag as, like, something that I love and am passionate... Well, I mean, I... Not me specifically, because, like, I love it, but I could never do it. Um, But I think that there will be people who have, like, money and access and who are like, okay, I'm going to get these looks. I've learned how to do my makeup. I know where to get the wigs. I know where to get the clothes. I'm going to turn a show. And I don't need to rely on this as a main source of income. This can just be something fun that I'm passionate about. But 
for the people who want to make a living out of doing it. I think that is what is different is like, it will be more difficult for drag to be a sustainable career in the way that it was five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. If you don't get on drag race. And that's the hard part. I think that's the difficult part. And like, maybe we're saying the same thing here. Yeah. But I mean, it, you know, if you don't have some kind of reveal, if you don't have, like, a wig reveal or, like, you don't turn some kind of trick or you don't have rose petals fall out of your head, people are like, oh, well, you're just kind of, like, doing blah drag, you know? It's funny that you say that. I, I had a conversation with somebody, and if you're listening, I can't remember who it is. And I, I talked so fucking much about this show. I'm sorry. But I was saying that, you know, just the way things worked out last season during the finale is that Shay went up against, um, no, it was Peppermint versus Trinity up first, and then it was Shay versus uh, Sasha. Yeah. And had that been reversed, had Shay and Sasha gone up first, I feel that Trinity may have won the lip sync against Peppermint. Because... Everyone was just so gagged by Peppermint's reveal that I think that she won that lip sync, even though you could have probably take away the reveal, it probably was a closer lip sync than you think. And so I feel that maybe you're right. Maybe the reveals now are becoming you have to to have like a really quality lip sync, you have to have a reveal. Or some sort of trick, or some taking things out of your mouth, or you're doing something. Um, right. Like there has to be like some stunt that you're pulling. I mean, I think it's just it's constantly reevaluating our expectation of drag and like i will always and like i like pretty firmly stand behind this because i really up until this point have not seen a drag performance that i would like ever dream of turning my nose up as because i think anyone who's gonna like get the fuck out there and do something Mm -hmm. is incredible and like is my hero because like i could never imagine Mm -hmm. um but i think it'll become much more difficult. And I think that will be the thing that like needs to be pushed back against. Well, it's up to you to do it, Garrett. I, you know what I mean? I will figure it out. We will. We're going to have to wrap it up there, Garrett. We're at an hour, but even though there's no time limits, but stick around, (laughs) you you said we'll, we'll keep talking, but you guys, you guys don't get to hear it. It's sad for you. Um, I was going to ask you what song you want to play, but I'm actually feeling kind of lazy today. I'm just going to go with this one. Which is... I feel like it's a little too upbeat for any other show. <laughs> I, I was like, a lot of pop like, but I mean, to the middle. Yeah, it's like, it's like, how do you go like, oh, really? Yeah, well, drag race, you know, drag <laughs> race now. People are in a prison of drag race. They can't be successful. They're on drag race. Anyway, thanks for being here, Gary Schlichty. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we'll do it again. We'll do it. People love the Garrett Schlichty. Uh, um, I love being here, honestly. All right. Well, we'll see you. Bye.